you know, sort of what brings you here? I said, oh, I'm reviewing for a podcast. And, what podcast? And he's like, I said, it's called I Don't Get It. He's like, oh, that's perfect for this. <laughs> <laughs> really? Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to I Don't Get It. This is a podcast about performance in Edmonton. I'm Fonda, and we are proud to be part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. We have a nice fat episode for you this week. Uh, rounded up a bunch of guests and saw a couple of really great things. Um, up first will be a review of Mercury Opera's La Boheme with our resident opera expert, Colleen Fian, uh, followed up by um, some guests who haven't been on the show before. For Rayanne Haynes and Matthew Stepanek joined me. Uh, we saw Brandon Wintz Alive, which is a sort of a poetry multidisciplinary performance piece, and that was at Spazio Performativo at Mile Zero. Um, but first, here is our review of Labo M. Hello, everyone. I'm here again with our opera expert, Colleen Fien. Hi, Colleen. Hi. Um, and uh, well, we we saw a show tonight that was kind of. Um, kind of a special place in our hearts. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, why is that, Colleen? Well, Fonda and I met, I think, 20 years ago. Oh, God. Yes. 25? 20, no. Just 20 years ago. Just 20-ish. 20-ish um, years ago. <laughs> uh, we met 20 years ago in Manhattan. Uh, we went to the same high school in Edmonton, Alberta, but we were both on a school trip to Manhattan. And as part of the trip, we got to go see Rent on Broadway, like the original production. Yeah, the, um, and with uh, Neil Patrick Harris playing Mark. Do you really? Remember? Yeah, do you oh. remember that? <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, uh, hashtag VitKids. <laughs> hashtag 1999. <laughs> I think that was actually 98 oh. or 97. Anyway, um, in any case, well, why is that relevant to what we saw today? Tonight we saw Puccini's La Boheme performed at Chez Pierre um, by Mercury Opera. And uh, can you give us a context about, um, in, in the grand scheme of opera age and things, uh, where does La Boheme lie? So La Boheme uh, uh, was first performed in 1896 in Turin, Italy. Um, it's an opera by Puccini. It's one of his earliest operas. And you know Puccini from Tosca and Turandot. He's very popular, very, very popular um, um, composer. Um, and so this is sort of at the end of the romantic period of opera and the beginning of the Verissimo or realism period in opera, but this is sort of at the end of the grand operas. So, you know, we've already seen the Mozarts and the Donizetti's and the Rossini's, and this is sort of coming up at the end. And uh, in the opera world, Puccini is sometimes considered a little bit um, of a the, sort of the pop music of opera, simply because it's catchy, and there's a reason it's catchy, and we all really enjoy it. So, <laughs> so fine, it's not Schoenberg, but but it's still really enjoyable. But in certain ways, it's kind of also why it lends so well to modern interpretations like Rent and like the one <laughs> and like the production that we saw today, which was set in 1979 Manhattan, yeah. which about about 15 or so years before Rent, say. And incidentally, right before the AIDS crisis would have hit in the early 80s in Manhattan. Yeah, so there's still, there's this kind of like, there there's an impoverished artist, bohemian vibe to it, like La Boheme is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. um, but 
what was interesting for me is that they set it kind of around little Ukraine in the man in Manhattan, and there's even a director's note about Veselka, the restaurant, <laughs> which is a 24-hour Ukrainian diner <laughs> um, in the East Village, and yeah, and so. Uh, the main characters. Well, bring us through the characters. There's there's essentially six main characters that are in this show. Right. So there's the tenor and the soprano, Mimi and Rodolfo, who are the, the main set of lovers. Um, and then there's uh, uh, there's um, Musetta and Mar- Marcello, um, Rodolfo's best friend, and uh, and they're the secondary set of lovers. And then there's sort of like the buddies. Uh, um, Chenard and Colleen, and then there's some other characters after that. But basically the story is is that Rodolfo and Mimi meet in this beautiful bohemian moment and fall in love, but it's dramatic because she's dying of TB um, or AIDS if you're watching uh, Rent. And um, and it's just all about... and But they're living in this bohemian, bohemian moment, uh, which was actually sort of drawn on the 1840s Paris, um, sort of like Toulouse-Lautrec kind of... If you've seen Le Moulin Rouge, that kind of those kind of folks. Everyone has consumption. All of all of the skinny <laughs> ladies are, are suffering and poor. But it's like really beautiful. <laughs> but everyone is also really hot. Like they're just like just oh, yeah. just like gorgeous and handsome and yeah. lovely people. And yeah. the the women are um, you know uh, wayfish, but also you know well dressed. I really want to make a nod to the costume designer Natasha Lazarovich. Full disclosure, I do know her. She's a friend. Um, <laughs> but Musetta's costumes were just over the top and beautiful oh, the gold jumpsuit okay well so anyway. the the plot of La Boheme really starts out with um, Marcello and Rodolfo in their apartment and they're two artists Rodolfo is a writer Marcello is a painter um, and they're and they're both suffering like they both they're both <laughs> like oh we suck they they initially their apartment is so cold and they try they try to burn one of Rodolfo's play scripts or something and it's so bad that it won't even burn well <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I loved... So, just to, to jump into it, I... Um, yeah, so the story is, is is a famous one, but it's these two young artists, and they meet this young woman, and they have all this love and stuff, and, and it gets dramatic, and then the young woman is frail, and so they try to get a doctor for her, but she dies too soon, and it's, you know, it's very passionate. Um, but, um, but I loved the feeling of this. Like, I felt like... I was watching myself at 25, like, run between my shitty apartment and the bar downstairs and, like, with my friends. And it's very dramatic. And we're talking about truth and beauty and... Truth and, and I mean, beauty <laughs> and love. And, like, and, yeah, and it really captures that sort of angst and passion and um, sort of kind of ignorant wherewithal that the young yeah. young people in love and artists sort of just, like, hold pride for. Yeah. Um, but and, but and, and it... And in that way, it's a, still an authentic story. Mm-hmm. I, while I loved La Traviata and the way that the same company staged it in the same space, I feel that this piece was so much more um, authentic to the moment and accessible. Yeah. Like I, I saw them as people, um, as real characters. I think that um, Rodolfo and Marcello, um, played by Adam Fisher and Lucas Johan, respectively. Fantastic! Oh, I am fangirling all over the place. Over here. <laughs> I just like that was the it was it was such a treat to be uh, only a couple of feet away from these gorgeous voices and these beautiful young men, and I just like yeah, just like fangirling all over here. Mm-hmm. So I, I loved the voices; they were super, they were just superb together. Um, and then uh, the women who played Musetta and Mimi, so Michaela, uh, oh. 
Batiste, maybe? Batiste. And then um, Musetta, played by Andrea... Um, oh. I'll say Gidrasic. Thank you, Fonda. Um, they also were, were wonderful. I, I, I will say I had a couple of moments of insecurity at the very beginning. Um, I was a little bit worried about the voices but then they got into it and I just they knocked me they knocked me off my feet it was just great um because Mimi has just ridiculous uh range to hit like she has to go so high so she does she really does like it's quite impressive well and the music what the music is trying to portray is her waif if waif waif if waif ish nature because she's dying of TB yeah her yeah she sort of like comes out as this like frail and feathery character and it really is emphasized in her in her vocality like in her voice um and so in that way is it written that way or is that the way that it's chosen to play or do you think that's more of a reflection of the performer herself? Yeah, so I, I've seen this I've seen this opera twice, incidentally by Edmonton Opera, um, t- two times and when I've seen it, it's been by a soprano who comes on stage and is not a wave personally but, you know, has a killer voice and she hits all the notes and all of that stuff and she sing and when I've seen it previously, she just sings full out the entire opera and then right at the end it's like, oh, oops, um <coughs> I'm dead. Oh, and I'm dying, sorry, yeah. <laughs> it worked. Um, so, so it was really interesting to see. I think probably a younger um, singer come out this evening. She herself was, or you know, I'm sure makeup and costume, but she herself really played the part of, you know, a, a withering young woman. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I, it was really effective, and she was a great actress. Like I, that first act, I just sat there and swooned between Mimi and Rodolfo. Like, oh I gosh, that totally scene, taken in. that scene where they meet, the will you light my candle scene? Oh my <laughs> god! You know, all I'm sitting there and. And frankly, as someone who knows Rent much better than La Boheme, um, all I can think of is, you know, the the initial why, the Rent song that is associated with this scene in the opera. And so the light, but that light my candle scene, I was like, oh my God, this is so much more beautiful. Oh, uh, it was like, weird. I had tears in my eyes by the time that scene was over. Yeah. And then, of course, Rodolfo's friends, the, the advantage of the venue, I think, is great too, because the proximity of the performers, well, it can be a bit of a risk you need to be a very good actor you need to be doing very difficult things with your voice Mm -hmm. um and still need to kind of like pull off an authentic scene uh man absolutely they did it and then rodolfo's friends are also kind of like somewhere in the hallways clashing (laughs) around and singing too uh it just added just such a great sense of atmosphere and i will i really want to point out that the end of act two is worth the sticker price alone. Heck yeah. It is one of the most fun, immersive scenes that I have ever been in. Oh my god! And it's all, uh, opera is happening all around you in this bar, in this strip club. (laughs) And, (laughs) and it is, and it is fantastic. And everyone is just singing about their bad relationships. (laughs) It's just, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. I've, yeah, I was, I felt very fortunate to be in that moment they use the space so well because they use the stage sort of for like the, the apartment where they meet and then there's a pool table over in the corner where all the guys go and hang out and then there's a couple of people hanging out at the bar and at the end of act two as Fonda was saying they, they all they're doing a big um, quintet and so they're all singing and everybody's off on their own thing and Musetta and uh, Marcello are having this huge fight with each other special shout out to the fights between Marcello and Musetta yeah like, so fabulous. fighting all the way across the bar usually so like it's so good in fact 
in fact, uh, Marcello like slammed a wine bottle like down right behind my head. It was great. I was, I was like, oh, I'm in the show. No, I'm not. But anyway, like I, I, I felt like I was at a cast party. Like I was having so much fun. It felt like you were at that cast party where everyone is so drunk and gets yeah. to that point where like they're when we were 25. They're done with the show and they're angry now yeah. and ready and to the, go home. All the beautiful relationships are breaking up. Um, so no, I have to say, and I texted my husband an intermission and said like, this is one of the best like theater performances I've been to in a couple of years. Yeah, I, I, kudos to Mercury Opera for, again, pulling off something, like, really cool in Chez Pierre. Yeah. Um, you know, over a number of years, we've seen Chez Pierre used more and more as a venue by di- more uh, different collaborators and different companies, and I think, I think it's pretty cool, actually. I mean, you can't see very many people in there. I think the capacity is probably about 60. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and but it's great. You sit at these little... Um, um, uh, cabaret style tables and you can get your drink and like it's really fun like it's yeah anyway. yeah I also want to get wanted to give a special shout out to um, the performer playing Colleen uh, Roland Burks uh, he has had a really lovely song to his jacket at the very end <laughs> that I thought I thought was really endearing and sweet well they're all trying to sell their wares because Mimi is sick and they want to find a doctor um, and so he sings this sort of like really lovely song it's his kind of like one big moment um, but I thought he was a great performer uh, Roland Burks there. oh my gosh one more shout out do you remember the guy who Please, uh, Chenard, in drag singing Santa Baby in Italian at the beginning of yes, like so much. They added Santa Baby. So of course, as we know, La Boheme and Rent are start and end with Christmas. Um, so Christmas Eve, and so of course they had to throw a Christmas Carol in there. And they were playing Christmas music, the live orchestra, beautiful live orchestra. But it was a seven-piece orchestra. It was really lovely um, to have the live music as well. But they were playing Christmas carols during the intermission, too. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I love Christmas. Everyone on this (laughs) podcast already knows that I love Christmas. So that's a thing. Well, I say grab your friends, go down to Shapier, and watch watch your new best friends have a huge bar fight and sit in the middle of it. And then also (laughs) sing operatically in Italian. Yeah. And, and And very well. Yes. Cool. Well, thanks again, Colleen, for coming on the podcast and teaching us about some opera. Thanks for having me. If you're an artist, check out ATB's Branch for Arts and Culture. It's a bank, music venue, and creative space all in one. So whether you're a musician wanting advice on how to save for a new instrument or an artist looking for a bank that understands how your business works, ATB can help. For more information on the Branch for Arts and Culture, head to atb.com slash the branch. All right. Now, um, thanks to Colleen again for joining us for that uh, for that great opera experience. Now we are going to head into our review of Alive, um, which was a really great time and something pretty different for us. So um, I will leave it at that and uh, throw to uh, throw to our next guests. Um, hello, special guests. <laughs> I'm sitting here um, in our in our impromptu Saturday night studio um, with two guests who have not been on the show before, but they do have their own podcast. So, um, guests, can you introduce yourselves and just tell me, uh, tell us, tell us a little bit about who you are? <laughs> I pointed at Matthew. Uh, so, I'm Rayanne Haynes. I am the current executive director of the Edmonton Poetry Festival. I'm a, a poet in Edmonton. Um, and a co-host of the podcast, Let's Get Lit, with my partner, 
Matthew. Who's right here. <laughs> Beside you. Just just waiting. Um, yeah, I'm, my name is Matthew Stepanek, uh, and I'm the editor of Glass Buffalo magazine and also the poetry editor for 18 Bridges. Uh, I'm a poet myself and also a soon-to-be, well, I mean, currently managing a uh, pop-up bookshop that... Yeah you know, will have its own physical space soon. And uh, yeah, uh, co-host of uh, Let's Get Lit. Yes. So so what is, what is Let's Get Lit? Uh, Let's Get Lit is a podcast where we interview poets who are primarily based in Western Canada, Alberta. Uh, we typically enjoy a glass of wine um, to match the poet's personality while we're discussing their work. Um, and the relevancy and power of poetry. Cool. Speaking of poetry, what did we just see? Uh, we saw Brandon Wintz alive tonight at Mile mm-hmm. Zero Dance, and Brandon Wint is a spoken word poet in Edmonton uh, who is incredible and just, yeah, a very, like, a generous and kind person, and I yeah. think that comes through in like the show that we just watched yeah can you describe a little bit about um sort of like the format or structure of the show you said you mentioned he is a spoken word poet but this was a lot different than um the spoken word poetry i guess that that i've been exposed to in uh in the past so far well i think to start off we'll say a lot of people often confuse slam poetry with spoken word, or they think that that's what spoken word is, and it's not. They're two different beasts. So slam poetry is a competition where you're given, you know, a minute or two minutes, three minutes, whatever the time is, to go up and recite your poem in a competitive bout, um, you know, against the other poets in the room. And so often the poetry is very... um, I don't think visceral is the right word, but it, it's it's really elevated. It's really fast paced. It's really you know get my get my point across as or my poetry out. Yeah, and the, and the, then, the gut punches. Yeah, that the you gut have to punches. Go for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But spoken word is it's ju- it's the art of poetry spoken without the use of the page, right? So it's 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 a more I don't know, like well, more spiritual type of. I, well, I don't know if I'd say spiritual, no. but I feel like um, what's sort of going on in like, you know, using the like, comparison to slam poetry yeah. is that, you know, like you have to be more concise. And I feel like um, Brandon and like with his poetry, he allows himself to have space. Yeah. Um, and I like one of my favorite things, because I think page poetry and spoken word poetry can both do this, that like a poem can have like a really good mouthfeel, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. similar to like the wine that we're drinking right now. Yeah, this is a really nice Grenache, actually. Yeah, yeah, it's a good Grenache. Thank <laughs> good, you. Good, nice mouthfeel. <laughs> yeah, good mouthfeel. But like, I feel, um, yeah, the, the importance of spoken word poetry is sort of like, how, how does it fit in the mouth and how, mm-hmm. like, how do you... Uh, speak in that in that way and like I feel um, Brandon is very practiced in every word that he's put on the page and like that he performs like it's it's him so like tonight um, I believe there was about a dozen poems that he read Mm -hmm. um, uh, that was accompanied you know by live music and then also um, dance performances a few of them between each piece and uh, 
um, with with Brandon's poetry, like he just he, he's very careful with pacing, and that's so important to um, what he's doing. And like every word, like he picks the the right words that just sort of like when he says them, they just sit and like they're like they're smooth out of his mouth. Like yeah. like there's like a beat and a rhythm similar to like how you would have in like a dance or the music that goes on. That I think like his poetry particularly seems to pair with other like you know yeah. um, beat based art forms well yeah yeah so he was he was accompanied by um three musicians one on piano percussion and then a guitarist who played mm-hmm. the, i don't know if it was a steel drum i couldn't it's a steel be. drum yeah. Yeah. yeah um and then there were two um two vocalists who were singing as well and then two dancers so eight performers total including brandon um and yeah, I kind of felt like that the structure was almost a little bit like a song cycle. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he he's delivering the poems, the music is all happening, and then there's just sort of this wave in and out of the movement that's happening. Um, and I'm glad that you brought up the difference between slam poetry and spoken word, because when I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, why, why, why is Brandon so different than what I, yeah. you know, is that that kind of aggression of competition isn't there. You're actually just watching something that they've worked on as sort of a fully formed um, performance piece. Um, yeah. And I think that what we saw tonight and what Brandon is really good at and spoken word or the performance of poetry is allowing the language and the words to linger, mm-hmm. you know, pa- once to linger in the air and in the room and, and through the audience rather than um, the slam competition, which is, as Matthew said earlier, kind of getting that punch in and, mm-hmm. and, you know, looking for the, for the points. And I mean, I love slam poetry as well, but it's yeah. a very different type of performance mm-hmm. than what was done tonight yeah and i think um the, the the theme and message of the show too is served not from like the gut punches no but there's like a certain mercy to yeah. brandon's poetry and like mm-hmm. even um like you know talking about the song cycle and how um the arc of that show and you know starting with you know looking at a very like small human connection and dealing with like birth and then you know like as it i don't know if this is a bad time to like talk about how the show sort of developed <laughs> yeah let's talk, let's talk about the poetry yeah. here yeah, yeah. like that like i want to get into the poetry because that was what i was so impressed by <clears throat> yeah. because um i think like the then the thing that like spoken word can do really well is that you feel very connected to the poet poet as they're performing, um, you know, you can still get that on the page, but like, you know, the way that Brandon speaks to us, the way that like, um, he makes you feel welcomed at any of his shows. Like there was a fun moment where, you know, his his, his pages sort of slipped off um, off of his music yeah, stand. Yeah. And there was a, like a little bit of an intermission where they tried to like, you know, figure out where, mm-hmm. where, where they were in the show. But like, you know, Brandon's such like a charming and like, and like, you know, funny person that like, you know, you, you felt like that was just a part of the show and there was no, exit from like the narrative no it wasn't uncomfortable at all yeah, when that happened everyone everyone was just like oh this is fine we'll wait as long as it takes yeah because yeah. every it, he is so at ease he really does put the audience at ease the listener and um and it what was the, the funniest part of that magic moment you know those ethereal moments in live performance that never ever happen again mm-hmm. you know he happens to be holding the page that he's I looking know. for hardest <laughs> in his hand which was just it was gorgeous it was, yeah. it was beautiful it was. Yeah. it was and it was so authentic which mm-hmm. was something that resonated with me all night tonight was there was such authenticity in everything that he was giving and sharing. And so that moment, also the unth- authenticity of it was mm-hmm. was yeah. light and hopeful and wonderful. And and the, the title of the show itself seems mm-hmm. like very simple and basic because it's, it's called Alive with mm-hmm. an exclamation point. 
Um, but really, like Brandon in this work of poetry is really questioning what it means to be human and alive today. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I, I believe like at the beginning, he's talking about like, I never asked to be born and like what like what I have become and all mm-hmm. of these things. And then, you know, he, he, he starts dealing with like more of the political self, like, you know, climate change yeah. comes in it. Um, you know, he, I loved his poem about the neighborhood. Oh, the I know. Yeah. So what were the first lines this this? community was born with with swear words or I can't remember uh, yeah exactly it was curse words yeah curse yeah, words yeah. but it was a really great way to fir- you know to phrase and then lead into the beauty of the this neighborhood was built on curse words yeah I think that yeah. was the first line and then and then he continues on to talk about the beauty of, of the neighborhood and the resiliency of it and I thought that was exceptionally done yeah and yeah. like and my favorite poem was when um, he started on about the beached whale and yeah. then he, and that he, was the climate change the climate change yeah. thing but like also but he wasn't just talking about climate change because he talked about the mm-hmm. beached whale and like the eyes of the beached whale and how like everything that Brandon like he talks very much about the natural world in all of his poetry and in everything he is always finding like an empathy mm-hmm. with that with that mm-hmm. with that animal or with that other person or with a bird like there were so many birds and so there were and, lots of birds there was yeah. lots of birds there was bird sounds there was bird whistles but um yeah so he has like that image of the beached whale and yeah. then he like moves the metaphor into talking about a, a, like a black man in flint michigan who's yeah. stuck in there and then he moves into the political of like the forest fires and then there's that beautiful line where it's just like my neighbor has to grab a mask to like block out the carbon and then he's talking about like i, I just like i want to go through like every single line of this poem where he yeah. started you know talking about um the bird and like how i, I had to write this one down where it was just sort of like um, talking about ravens and how could a poem more elegant than squawking you know like come from Brandon Mm. like is his Mm. voice any more valuable than like a squawking that a bird can do and so I just I I really appreciate the way that you know he is also um, reflecting on his own value and role in society and like kind of like what sort of even privileges um any of us could have as people and what we're doing Mm -hmm. to the planet and then you know like then as the kind of show progresses he goes back to that like still here and like how we still need to like live and be and i just Mm -hmm. even as the as the sort of main performer and the like kind of like headline of this show he still had this uh, sort of like very um gentle humility that that you could really just kind of like identify with whatever he was talking about even though you're just kind of like oh my god i can't write a sentence like that Mm -hmm. you know or why can't i like yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. well i think he's naturally such a gentle humble person that that Mm -hmm is going to feed through uh, whatever he writes, whatever he shares. Yeah, because yeah. he's just so interested on, like, in, on being human. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, it, it feels weird to, like, also, like, as as we have worked with, like, Brandon a lot. Yeah, we have. Um, that, you know, like, we kind of, like, we know him very well as, like, a person. And yeah. so, like, we just kind of see that reflected in his poetry for how, you know, he deals with situations and how he, like, you know, um, interacts with people. Um, and it's interesting for you to like kind of like even make a comment too about like um, the words that Brandon chooses and how he writes mm-hmm. um, because I think also this piece reflected along on his own writing and like he had written down that line where he said a hero is anyone who slits the throat of a convenient word for an honest one yeah and that like, was so great that we, line oh yeah, my we god both, we both yeah. went oh yeah, when, I, he, when he said that I knew I had to make a note of it like yeah because yeah. like, we both gasped and it was just yeah. it was so true and I think that's like when you're talking about authenticity and like what Brandon is trying to accomplish with his poetry like that is just 
yeah, that's like that's the line that's like at the heart of the show where it's just like, how can we be human? We need to pick the honest words over the convenient ones. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, oh man, we we don't often get to talk about words so much on this show. <laughs> Love <laughs> words. Loving we like, it. We like words. Um, well, so what about the collaborators that Brandon brought in on this? What did you make of some of the other performances that were happening on the stage? Um, well, I I was very impressed with the musical accompaniment accompaniment a cup <laughs> you're close you're getting like, close we love words but we can't actually say that word this, one costs this grenache is really good <laughs> the wine is so good but like that word costs no, 10 no that's nothing to do with that wine it's just the word the musicians that were performing alongside brandon were i think brilliant <laughs> <laughs> and they seem to have a real interconnectedness between them, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know that they rehearsed, that's obvious, but I felt like there was a real, like their fi- their fingers were finding each other through the, the language of the poem and through the music. And I thought that it was um, really beautifully done. Um, and then the, the dancers were... Uh, I don't really know much about dance and, and the movement, but I felt that they were exceptionally close to the words that Brandon was offering us and I felt that the movement that they were off that they were offering us fit in a real natural way with um with Brandon's poetry mm-hmm. you want to talk a little bit about the dance <laughs> yeah I would love to talk about the dance well like um off of your point that yeah, yeah. like I, I really feel um, that there was like a connection between everyone and that like yeah. I would notice like if I was also watching the dance I would like kind of look at the musicians or Brandon and it's like his show but I felt like he like all of them were really taking joy mm-hmm. from whatever anyone else was doing on the show like that it just felt like a very intimate space that yeah. everyone was sort of enjoying the art that each of them were individually contributing to the show um, and the thing that I noticed about the dance is like yeah like it really it did complement the poetry in a way that I could understand it right um, that you know like when Brandon's talking about intimacy and touch that the the dancers were closer and like you know their movements were together and it just felt Mm -hmm. like you know there was different ways that they were either supporting each other in different movements Mm -hmm. and then um the particular one that was like my favorite piece too like with the the climate change poem is the dance movement after was that they were they were distanced they were they were on the opposite side of the stage and like you could even notice that they wouldn't look at each other or like the things like you know that we as people like try to avoid or how we try to separate ourselves from them that like these two dancers too like were moving opposite on the stage and like would sometimes take a cue from each other but for the most part um seem to exist and look in separate directions and i thought that like it like it really touched to me like how much like i try to avoid like some of the sadness of the world or um even like in the ways that like sometimes one dancer would be looking at the other looking for connection in that moment and the other dancer would be looking away yeah and it was interesting to like see that interaction mm-hmm. well and even the fact that i I really felt the poetry coming through them. And I don't think that I was expecting that, you know? And as a poet, to feel poetry through the dance was unexpected. And yet, um, you know, I'm so thankful that I got to have that experience. Um, Yeah, so it was, interesting isn't the right word, but it was, it was like a spiritual poetic experience through their bodies 
Well, yeah, like it was just it was it was a very very intimate show. Yeah, that, like ever, I think everyone in the audience, like you know, just like listening to people like talk about it afterwards, that we all felt that we were connected and a part of it. And I think that's something special about the Mile Zero Dance Space that it's mm-hmm. just sort of like it's you know like there's only two or three rows of people that are sitting mm-hmm. there. You're very close. Like it's very it's very intimate in that way. Uh, I'm overusing the word intimate. Uh, <laughs> I'm afraid of the words that Rayanne can't say. Um, what accompaniment? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got it. Yes. I don't think okay. I did actually. Can you can you edit that word and put it in earlier? We will just drop it right in there. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I, I was I like sort of lost a, a thought that I had, but like there was it's just okay. um, yeah, like there was the intimacy and like you just you felt the connection. Oh, and like um, w- with the with the dance, the music, and the poetry, I felt the mood and tone. Mm-hmm. Um, of each separate piece really really balanced it out like it just it felt there and like yeah um the music if it became more stark it was more of a serious conversation there was light and delicate yeah. um sounds when you know like brandon's talking in a more joyful way mm-hmm. um yeah yeah i i i did i enjoyed the dance so two dancers were uh or two movers were the the ones who were kind of like physicalizing the 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 poetry um it was uh jenny vanderkirkov in poemagale and um what i thought was really interesting about their choreography was that it did add this kind of like physical tension to what was being talked about where it's is very um sort of pleasant and and just kind of like awe-inspiring to listen to Brandon then you see these dancers coming out and actually and illustrating in a physical way um, some of the some of the the harder things that he's talking about right. um, you know they have this these sort of um, kind of give and take uh, with the weight uh, that the dancers are using and then there and then they also actually had some f- fairly literal gestural fights yeah. <laughs> you know or, or like denial of um, each other's feelings yeah. um, um, and then, but to to end though, um, Mpoe's solo at the end was just this mm-hmm. beautiful mm-hmm. expression of joy, and like I had tears in my eyes for it. Like she yeah. was just, she was just, yeah, she, she wasn't, she was physically singing. It was yes, just, she just was. beautiful. That's what, I, that's what I was trying to say earlier. It was like I experienced poetry as movement tonight which i haven't experienced before you know i've watched dance but i haven't experienced poetry in that way through another human being's body and i felt like i did this evening mm-hmm. so those um those two dancers were quite brilliant yeah and again i think the proximity of the mile zero space also helps to lend to that because right. you are so close to the right. performers um i mean i think i think they have a max probably of like 75 or so mm. so you know like um it was great but at the end of the piece brandon did mention that this will be um an iteration of this will actually be part of the edmonton poetry festival yes um is there anything you can tell us about that <laughs> <laughs> um right so on saturday April 27th, um, they will, Brandon will be bringing alive to the Edmonton Poetry Festival in partnership with uh, Titi Lope Sanuga, who will be performing her um, ongoing um, performance called Open, which she's toured around the, um, around the world. I mean, she's yeah. been all over with it. Um, and so the two of them are combining the two pieces for an evening um, at the festival, and it will be at the Matrix Hotel in the big ballroom there. Um, the 
we will have the Poetry Festival website up on mid-March. And so all the details around buying tickets and all of that kind of stuff will be We'll available there. then but this isn't this wasn't the last chance no yeah. people will still have more chance yeah. to see this show yeah. alive and open alive that sounds open. like a great <laughs> a great bill yeah. <laughs> uh do you do you folks have anything else to add for now yeah like it was just i mean like in, in talking about the show and like how yeah. we all came away from it and how you felt that like poetry was movement yeah i feel like it was a show that kind of like touched every single sense um, in that way, like that, what, what we could see, what we could hear, um, or like in the different ways that we kind of touch and connect with art. And the mm-hmm. only thing that would have like been missing if there could have been like some sort of feast, like a food, you know, that we could all been like sitting there with some really good popcorn. Yeah, not uh, popcorn. Not popcorn. We needed we needed some more some more sensory <laughs> perception stuff happening. You know. Yeah, yeah, but I just yeah. felt like everything built on the last thing that was like sort of happening in terms of like you have the dancing building off the music building off of like brandon's words so i think the all the artists seem to like really um be very cohesive together and understanding like what was the message and mood of the work that they were trying to share Mm -hmm. um and and then i will just say um you know i was had tears in my eyes most of the night uh, because of the feeling, just all of the evocative emotion that was brought up. Um, and, you know, primarily hope, because I think that Brandon, even when he's speaking uh, about difficult subjects in his poetry, his message is always very hopeful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, at the end of the night when it was over, I had to turn to Matthew and say, will you please hug me? Mm-hmm. Because I just feel like I need to touch somebody, you know, after this. So, um I want to thank Brandon and and the other performers for offering that to us this evening. I also wanted to note that there was um, there were a couple of children in the audience. Yes, there were. Which were um, Brandon did have a couple. Some of his poetry was like explicitly just about like children playing. Right. Um, and then to hear the kids in the audience during like even just kind of like coming in and out, it was like wow, yes, life. It, yeah, we are we are all so alive. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It was a real reminder that children should be included in these things, even if they're making a little bit of noise here and there throughout the performance, that it's important for us to include children in coming to shows um, because so often they're not included. And if we want to continue building vibrant art communities, we have to include uh, children in them more often. Because it allows them us to include their mothers usually too, or their parents as well, you know? So yeah, in those ways, I think that that was also just, it just kind of added to that specialness of like who was in the room at the time. So yeah. Again, thank you both so much. I will take you up on the, um, the, uh, you know, invite to be on your podcast sometime. And also whenever there's poetry stuff coming up, um, we'll, we'll have to have you back. Yeah. Okay. That'd be We'd wonderful. Love it. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. The Alberta Podcast Network is proud to announce a new affiliate member podcast from Edmonton Public Library. Overdue Finds is a biweekly podcast that features conversations with EPL staff members discussing all kinds of pop culture and media that you can find at the library. The collection is vast and the staff's taste is eclectic, so you're bound to hear about something that will delight you, whether it's romance novels, Archie comics, scary movies, or even podcasts. For more information about Overdue Finds and all of APN's member podcasts, visit albertapodcastnetwork.com. 
All right. So again, extra special thanks to all of the guests who joined us this week and took their time to see, um, to share their thoughts and also to to come to the performances. Uh, coming up for listings until March 9th, Labo M is still running at Chez Pierre. Uh, March 7th through 17th, the Skirts of Fire Festival is taking over the Alberta Avenue area. On March 8th, Shumka is presenting um, Ancestors and Elders again at the Jubilee Auditorium. That's a special one night show only. March 12th to 17th, Come From Away uh, from Broadway Across Canada is hitting the Jubilee Auditorium. That's the musical about the little Newfie town that um, helped out all those stranded stranded airline folks on 9-11. And Small Mouth Sounds by Beth Wall and Wildside Productions is um, hitting the Roxy on Gateway stage as part of the Roxy Performance Series. That's March 12th through 24th. And Lungs by Duncan McMillan will be at the playing at the Varscona Theatre. That's a production of Shadow Theater from March 13th through 31st. Uh, yeah, it's the... Um, I'm going to be taking a break for a while. Paul's going to be taking over um, because I'm going on a trip. Everyone, um, go see some shows. <laughs> Bye. I Don't Get It is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or check us out on albertapodcastnetwork.com or the CKUA radio app. I Don't Get It is recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta, in the Edmonton Community Foundation's podcast studio. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli, and you can find more of Ghibli's music by going to ghibli.bandcamp.com. I Don't Get It is produced by Andrew Paul, Fonda Mithrush, and Paul Blinoff. Sit here, thank you. I love you.